Okay, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We have another podcast on Agflix, and uh, we have Geert with us, and um, we're going to have an amazing conversation talking about open source. How beautiful is that? So, Geert, thanks for joining us. I'm going to introduce you to the people listening, watching, and listening, mm -hmm. and um, and. I'm I'm happy actually. I just want to say thank you for joining us uh, first. You're welcome. Yeah, and, happy uh, to be here. And uh, that for people watching, I I have this this uh, funny story when I met you. It was probably in 2015. Mm -hmm. So I invited you to give a talk at uh, a meetup that I was organizing, and uh, and the meetup was in the church. Yeah, like literally, uh, like an old church and that was used by by a company that mm -hmm. was rented by a company so in the Netherlands you, you guys do that yeah, yeah it was it was actually quite interesting because i what i remember of that talk is that like behind me was like a glass wall with like a cliff yeah indeed <laughs> like, yeah. indeed and going way down so you could actually look into the into the hall of the church down yeah. down below that was actually pretty yeah, nice it's very interesting yeah. very interesting yeah. setup yeah. Uh, i think the company was uh, was called uh, Glo uh, orange global orange global orange yeah, yeah they, they they had this uh, crazy office uh, in the church yeah and uh, i got to know you as um, a software engineer And uh, you're still a software engineer. You work today at Chroma, yep. working full-time on an open-source, very popular open-source project called Storybook. Um, yeah, you love open-source software. Like For sure. You, you, oh, you even told me, like, hey, um, I read a work on open-source so software read, uh, versus a product that's going to bring me money. It's like, really? You can have you show you show me a beautiful. I was like, just put it out there. It's like, no, I I read a work on my open source project, and one of them, or the one you actually spend most of your time besides Storybook, it's React Async. So for people listening, you can't see it, but it's right there on his T-shirt, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> React Async. I did my marketing part on that one. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And um, and you're a speaker, so you. You gave talk. Uh, you just actually you, your last talk was a few days ago in mm -hmm. Eindhoven at a yep. conference. Actually, and one one more after that. Like oh, a, really? Yeah, just last week I did a talk at a meetup in Rotterdam. So this has been a busy month. Yeah, okay. I, I like I did like four talks in one month. Like well, one month. I I want to know how you manage your time to be able to f like put so much thing in into. You, you know your daily routine I, i really want to know about that and you work uh so something that i actually have to mention um i invited you to join the podcast before the podcast even started i was like i want to have that guy on the podcast and i didn't have a plan on like when this podcast gonna start mm -hmm. and finally we you, you you made it and back then you were working at Zebia. And in 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 the Netherlands, obviously, and um, and now you're working at Chroma. So um, I'm quite interested in knowing what your career has been about. Mm -hmm. What 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 is the drive? Your drive on daily basis to do whatever you do. So can you tell us more about yeah, sure. you? Of course. So I started in web development when I was back in high school. Really, um, I was back in the time 
like that was around the time when internet just was just booming people were building websites and i had a hobby in in warhammer a lot of people know that uh-huh. uh, 40k <laughs> um and uh, i wanted to build a website about that because i thought it was cool yeah so i started out with notepad and dreamweaver mostly yeah, dreamweaver. like dragging tables and putting uh, uh, like uh, spacer gifs uh, gifs all over the place yeah um so that was actually pretty cool and then i got involved fairly early with open source because at one point like just static websites isn't enough you want to build dynamic stuff mm-hmm. so i ended up in the php world like a lot of us and i was looking for uh, a content management system mostly to to handle that or actually i was into the forum software like a lot of people were yeah uh, forums used to be really big and i wanted to have my build my own community right so um i got involved with an open source content management system slash forum software um called cotonti or oh, land okay. down under yeah there's not a lot of people who know about that one uh but it was actually quite a big competitor to php bulletin board okay. back in the like feature wise it was at least on par and technically i would say it was s- superior to it uh, so this was originally built by some french guy and um and then uh grew me into group around that and i got involved and at some point i was one of the core contributors to okay. this php uh, content management system or content management framework as we eventually called it yeah and i learned a lot Is of the stuff content from... management focused on like forums building or yeah so okay. like uh it it got out of the box with user management admin panel mm-hmm. forum things like a shout box and you know all that nice. kind of stuff and it had a modular architecture like fairly early on and you could skin it uh, so I was at first building templates for that and later on building plugins. And eventually I actually built like the the ORM for it, uh, which is like, <laughs> yeah. that was actually my first that, entry into doing object-oriented PHP because before that was like procedural. Yeah. Um, and I learned a lot of stuff from that, but um, that got me quite far. I did a whole bunch of, freelance jobs be, uh, for mostly for startups uh, in PHP using that C, uh, that, that CMS um, doing mostly um, like next to my studies. Yeah, I was doing that, uh, founding my own company in my second year in university um, and, and, and went, went forward from that. So it's been a long time that I've actually doing like semi-professionally being in software development like for over 10 years. Yeah. Um, and um, well, after studies, I decided, okay, this is, I want to learn from people who have been in the industry for a long time already. Okay. So I decided to stop freelancing and to actually get a job at uh, an, ag- an IT agency, yeah. software development agency, um, where I learned Java, Ruby on Rails. Yeah, and you were doing a lot of backend stuff. Uh, uh, back well, end, I've, yeah. I've always been full stack. Okay. I've, like, I, I I have this 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 relationship with software development where at one point I I, I just decide that I want to switch to the other side right I've been doing front-end development for too long it's time to do something else and then I for example do Scala for six months okay right? so I've been doing Scala for a whole bunch of time and then I'm I get fed up with that again I'm back at front end um, I would say I'm mostly front-end developer. That's where my real passion is. Yeah, it's yeah. in front-end development. I just love building 
like really awesome web apps that's 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 my passion yeah, when yeah, it, and yeah, yeah. the technology to do that it, it doesn't really matter that much obviously i fall in love with certain tools at some point in yeah. time uh but for example i was one of the early adopters of angular js uh in the netherlands back in the day yeah uh and I was working at a company where basically I was the Angular JS guy, right? Even though I was only working for six months professionally, um, and I, I went from that. And actually, Angular JS was my ticket into Xibia. Okay. Like my where I worked for this one company for two years, and then I joined Xibia, and I had a lot of expertise in, in, in Angular JS. Yeah. So that helped me get into uh, Xibia, and from then. Well, I, I landed in, in different projects, like learning Scala, and, and I even did Clojure. Well, not at Xibia, actually, but I did Clojure at one point, which yeah. is really interesting to, to learn all these various angles at, like, yeah, functional programming, good, uh, object-oriented programming, and Scala, which is, like, a mixed bag and a pain in the ass. Um, uh, <laughs> eventually, at some point. I, 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 right? I felt like all the Java developers so badly want to do uh, Scala, so yeah, that, there was a trend, and okay. I, I hopped on that bandwagon, yeah, and I okay. also hopped off uh, early Quickly, enough. Okay. <laughs> Luckily, uh, early enough. Okay. Uh, well, I, I don't really want to go into the issues with the Scala, but it, with Scala, but it's it's the community mostly mm -hmm. where there is like there is two camps. You have the Java developers that happen to have learned Scala, and there's the Haskell developers oh, yeah. who. Like they want to write functors and monoids and all that stuff, yeah. and that stuff just flying around, and, <laughs> and I can't really follow that anymore. Okay, right? Because I'm a pragmatic developer, and I I, I know a bit of category theory, but I really don't want to go in that too deeply because, to be honest, I don't really care about that stuff. I yeah. just want to build cool web applications yeah, that, that work well for the end user, and the way that you achieve that, I don't really care that about that as much. Okay. Um, that, that's being pragmatic, like as you just said. It's yeah, because yeah. a lot of people will want to have uh, all these fancy uh, things shining all over, and uh, just like no, let's make it work. Let's make sure that the user has. And there's a, there's a real balance there. Obviously, mm -hmm. I've been a consultant for five years uh, while working Xebia, and that is one of the topics that just keeps coming back. Yeah, and. I guess I would say in 99% of the stuff that I've been doing for our customers, it's been over-engineered. Stuff gets over-engineered and being more pragmatic is actually the better way to go. That doesn't mean that you have to forego things like testing, but you mm -hmm. have to keep things simple. Uh, keeping things simple, uh, is it's, it's something different. And actually, I, I love that quote. Uh, I'm not sure. It's, it's by, I think by Rich Hickey the author of Clojure, uh -huh, like yeah. uh, uh, simple versus easy. I'm not, I don't know the exact quote, but like it's better to make something simple than to make something easy because easy is it's basically yeah. you get lazy. lazy yeah. well, e well, making something simple is really hard, right? That's, that's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's very easy to make something very complicated. Indeed, <laughs> right? indeed. Uh, we, uh, our brain, our software engineer brand just goes like, oh, I can do this, I can, and then it just becomes completely like complex to, to, to handle for the end user at the end of the day. That's, that, that, that's interesting. So you've, you've always been passionate by um, like software engineering, being a, an open source engineer, but at what point, uh, so you have this transition from 
um, like PHP content management system, and then you you join that company to be to be with profession pro doing that work. Mm -hmm. Did you stop the open source work there or is there any other uh, other open source you were involved in? There was there? a point in time where I was doing a lot less open source work. Mm -hmm. I, like I, I intentionally abandoned PHP um, fairly early on in my career. Like I think while working at that company, yeah. um, I did that because I recognized that well, for one, PHP was at that point in time frowned upon a little bit by the pros. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say nowadays they've got they've got up with that, but um, there was a point in time where PHP like was for the cowboys or the the hobby uh, developers, mm -hmm. and I wanted to be professional. So uh, and Java was one of those languages that were yeah. considered to be the professional languages. Uh, but luckily, I was I joined the team uh, that was doing Ruby on Rails, uh, which um, which is way more pragmatic, I would say, than anything that the Java world has ever <laughs> done. Um, so you mean by pragmatic in the sense like as in building applications, applications. quickly, but yeah. still doing it right? Yeah. Um, and I I fell in love with Ruby on Rails. Not necessarily Ruby, but Ruby on Rails mm -hmm. is like a really great uh, software development platform, I would yeah. say. Um, and well, actually, there's nowadays Laravel, which is very similar. And the ORM that I mentioned that I built for this content management system is yeah. actually modeled after Active Record from Ruby, Ruby on Rails, yeah. right? It, it it all makes sense, like it all comes together in that in that in that way. Um, so. So, but uh, what is what is the drive? What, what, why? So, what's the drive behind? Uh, uh, well, I would say my personal drive has always been just personal development, like learning new things, getting better at stuff, uh, and and at one point when you're good enough, good enough at something, kill your darlings and move on, right? Do yeah. something different. I mean, I was heavily invested in this content management system, Kotanti. Uh, but I recognized that if I wanted to move on and, 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 and learn more new things, I would have to abandon that and do something else. Yeah. So I, I abandoned that and started doing Angular JS. Um, and then later on, I abandoned Angular JS because Angular 2 came around and yeah. I, I didn't, I figured like, oh, React is actually a way better uh, model that yeah. actually, I mean, it's more fitting. It fits my uh, approach to software engineering. Obviously, that was all, all also kind of uh, influenced by doing Clojure and Ruby on Rails, right? It's the functional programming. I, I, I understood the benefits of that fairly early on. Um, so React made more sense as yeah. a model than Angular, where Angular like was fully on on the object-oriented object uh, yeah, style, yeah. uh, and I I never I mean I understand the benefits of that, but I also see that it it's not always the best approach. Yeah. Right. Okay. So 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 what 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 I'm hearing now it's like you 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 have this idea of like if I do something I'm gonna do that like pretty well and then at some point you fall into the you, 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 the the comfort zone mm -hmm. and yeah. then you just like okay leave me just leave that comfort zone and so what is the 
actually today what is the the either the new thing or the comfort zone you feel like you're you're settling into if there is such a thing yeah that's a good that's actually a fairly good question <laughs> um so i would say the comfort zone that i'm in is react but that doesn't mean that i'm at a point where i'm willing to abandon it okay um for one there is the react world is is also evolving yeah and like there's like the like last actually month. last year yeah, has yeah, been crazy, crazy with all yeah. the new stuff like suspense being announced first for uh like um, efficiency stake and laser loading your components yeah uh now it's also for data fetching which obviously for react async is very uh very much on my radar yeah i've uh, been uh, reading up on that like a lot um so there's plenty of stuff still to be learned and and mm -hmm. done um and also i am um, the com uh, Chroma, the company I work for, we use React internally, and it, that's not going to change anytime soon. So it would be kind of silly of me to, for example, for all of a sudden start doing Vue.js or something else, um, because I wouldn't be able to apply that no. in my day-to-day -day job. And that's actually the biggest thing for me is that the way I learn is by doing something in a day-to-day -day basis yeah. and not like... I don't really believe in being able to learn something thoroughly without doing that yeah. as your job, right? You can learn something kind of on the side in your spare time, um, but that that's only scratching the surface. You have to actually apply something in a real project for a real customer to, to learn, to truly learn the benefits and downsides of a certain tool. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I understand that. So when when we talk about uh, uh, open source, uh, so I want I want to dive a little bit further in that. So you have uh, two open source projects you're working on. One is just your will to share and grow uh, a project uh, like project you care about, mm -hmm. and the other one, kind of the same thing, but you get paid like. To yeah, do so it, if it's, I it's slightly more complicated than that. that okay. I'm, I'm not in the same position as Norbert, for example, who yeah. gets who basically works on Storybook full time in Chroma time. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, essentially gets paid to do open source stuff. Yeah, uh, that doesn't apply to okay. me per se. I do contribute to to Storybook, but that's uh, I'm more of a side contributor, I would say. Um, so tell, tell, tell us more about uh, your, your role at Chroma, if you will. Sure, yeah, of, of course. So um, I joined Chroma in July this year. So I'm actually, it's only fa fairly recent. Yeah, it's been um, after, after about like uh, five years at the... Yeah, so I worked area. for Xebia for five years yeah. and then I joined Chroma, yeah. uh, basically by invite of Norbert, yeah. uh, because I worked with him before. Yeah. He also used to work with Xebia. Um, and um, Chroma was looking to expand, uh, uh, so uh, and and develop a new part of their product, or actually a completely new product, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, Chrome. Well, we we now call it Chromatic 2.0, mm -hmm. uh, but it was called also Chroma for a while, and that's actually what I've been building for the last six months. Okay. Um, so I was hired to work on the actual paid product that Chroma offers um, and uh, that's based on uh, our tool called Chromatic. 
Okay. So uh, Chromatic is a tool for uh, visual regression testing. So essentially what it does, it, it takes your stories in your storybook. So it's all based on storybook mm-hmm. um, and takes screenshots of the, uh, every commit or actually 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 uh, every push that you do. So it takes screenshots and then it does a before and after comparison visually, mm-hmm. pixel by pixel, and highlights the visual changes for you. So in that way, you are as for there's two parts to that. As a developer, um, when I change some CSS, for example, okay, uh, it's hard in code review. Like on GitHub, it's very hard to mentally model the effect that oh. this code change will have. Yeah, you only right? see red and green, but you don't see exactly. Much, I know yeah. that the the color of this button has been changed from red to green, but it doesn't show me all the places where this button is actually applied. Yeah, right where it lives. Uh, so that's what Chromatic does. And f- as a developer, it helps me to. Uh, well, to, to, to know for sure that the work that I've done is correct. And it, um, I was not used to this workflow before I joined Chroma because I never used that product before. But obviously, we dog food our own software. Yeah. So ever since I joined Chroma, I've also been using Chromatic. Uh, and it's really been very, a, it's a big workflow change and it's really for the better. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, honestly enjoyed using that yeah. and it's caught more, more than one bug that uh, that I like a change that I did not intend um, let me give you an example th- of one thing that you could catch with chromatic it's like say you have your button component right? it's the, the the obvious example and you say you add some padding some white, white space inside this button which makes it a little bit bigger, a little wider. Yeah. Well, a button does not, it never lives on its own. It's somewhere on a page, on like page. say in a header besides a Indeed. search box or something like Indeed. that. Uh, so say you have this one button component, but it apply, it's applied in 50 different places throughout your app. Um, if you increase the padding of it, um, that will make it bigger. And it has that has the potential of wrapping text to the next line below it because stuff doesn't fit yeah. on on uh, within its container anymore right so that's something that is impossible to detect just by looking at the code you have to look at the actual app uh, to yeah. see that it's broken but i'm not going to click through all of the various pages in the app every time i make a change because it's way too much work especially Indeed. with something like a button which lives in 50 different places i might i might check 20 of them but i'm still gonna miss all the edge cases right so that's what chromatic does it, it okay. just gives you shows you the screenshot saying hey uh, i just noticed that this text is now wrapped to the next line uh, you see that on your screen may say approve or decline so in this case i'm just going to decline that i'm go- just going to ha- go back and to fix this in this scenario. okay that's a very good way to, to so so that's the that's the thing that that's yeah. a product actually that Chromatic already had or Chroma already had uh, for a couple of years now, and we're currently uh, iterating on that, building a new product or actually a new addition to this product, which is Visual Review, which is slightly different in that it's actually synonymous to Code Review by your peers. So it actually hooks into the GitHub pull request workflow or Bitbucket or GitLab if you use that. Um, and then shows you side-by-side side comparison visually yeah. of your target branch against your uh, pull request pull branch, request, yeah. right? So that f- 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 I still have this process of, uh, as a developer, reviewing my own work and then fixing stuff before it goes into code review. 
but at some point i'm just i'm, I'm I, I say okay i'm done with this and then i'm going to assign it to yeah. a peer to review it and the nice thing about what we do is that we offer a platform for everyone involved in uh, ui development okay because on github usually there is only software engineers on github uh, maybe some testers uh, but not the designer or a product owner and that's what we're changing with Acromatic. Okay. Is that also designers and product owners are on the platform? I can assign a designer to review my visual change, the work that I did okay. on my PR. Interesting. So they can actually approve it before it goes to production. The same thing goes with QA. Like if you have people to test to manually test the app, they can do a lot of that work before something has to be deployed to staging. So they are like part of the process of the software development process yeah, in an earlier stage, yeah. right? Well, before actually merging the code into the into master, master, yeah, right. Um, which is way better because uh, it 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 also makes for less disturbances. Um, so because what you otherwise often see is what I'm what I'm I'm used to in projects that I did for customers. I was part of a software engineering team. I would make a change and maybe someone would look at the code and say, okay, let's merge it. And then it would be, well, if we're lucky, the designer or someone else would catch an issue an in issue the staging environment. Goes, yeah. But more likely it will, would go, just go into production at the end of the day um, and it would be broken in production. And so, so, what, what, so is the, what is the code? Uh, how do you... Um, I, I'm just trying to wrap uh, the chrome, chrome, chromatic tool in my in my mind. Like, do you write code to hook it to your project, or is it just like configuration from GitHub, or how do the, do you do that? Yeah, so it's actually part of your continuous integration pipeline. Okay. Um, so what we do, it's fully based on Storybook. We don't take snapshots okay. of running applications. Okay such as something that would Cypress would do. Uh, we take screenshots okay. of Storybook. I understand um, already, yeah. Which has the benefit that we can parallelize all of the work. So we can test 2,000 different stories in 45 seconds. Um, so um, you hook that into your CI pipeline. At one point, you build a static, you make a, a, create a static build of your Storybook, yeah. which is something supported in Storybook by default. And then you upload that to our uh, platform. And then we take all the screenshots uh, of those stories and show you the results. Okay, great. And obviously give you like a check mark on your pull request, mm -hmm. like the status badge. So let's go back. Uh, yeah. When, at some point when I introduced you, I said you, you're a trainer. You do. You used to give training with, uh, with Xavier. Yeah. And now uh, you mentioned that you will be interested in giving more of uh, um, uh, some trainings here and there. Will Chromatic fit into the, like the ecosystem of trainings you yeah, can sure. give um, to help people kind of? So I, I used to be a trainer mostly, well, back in the day in Angular, mm -hmm. I would do Angular trainings and later I switched to React. So I gave a couple of, over several React trainings to various companies that we, that we had as our customers and um, so now that I left Xibia, I'm no longer doing that, but I'm still interested in, in giving trainings. Okay. Uh, even though I'm, I'm full-time employed by, 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 by Chroma, um, 
I have a passion for doing that. Yeah. Sharing uh, knowledge and sharing knowledge. Yeah. yeah, actually, that that that's what I mean. That's the main reason why I'm on stage yeah. so often. I yeah, talking about talking about sharing knowledge. You just mentioned like last month, n November 2019. You did what? Four talks. Yeah. Or? So yeah. Uh, yeah, two meetups, one conference, and yeah. one internal thing at Exibia. Um, so so that's a lot of knowledge quite, sharing. Quite right a there. lot of knowledge sharing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I like doing that, um, and also as a trainer, it's exhausting, but it's also very rewarding. Uh, it's rewarding, and it's actually for me that's a way that I learn. The same thing. The same thing I got applies to uh, meetups, like talks that I do. When you're giving a talk or you're giving a training, you have to be very well prepared. So you have to go back and check your materials, yeah. right? So I can create a, a, a slide deck. Uh, off the top of my head, but then I have to go back to the documentation of, say, React to see if that's actually still valid, right? I yeah. might have some knowledge in my mind that's maybe outdated, maybe it's not the recommended approach anymore, or it's not just not quite right. And then I learn to to actually restructure my own thoughts mm -hmm. on a particular subject. So that's, for me, actually a great way to learn, okay, uh, interesting. To, 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 to expand my knowledge or, and, so, and solidify it. Let me, let me go back to open source world. So we talked about uh, storybooks, and then I understand better your role at Chroma. Uh, but uh, one of the, the main things that I really want to dive into today is your, your T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> So people don't, if you're listening, then you're missing, you're missing out on this. So I want to talk about open source and uh, uh, React async. Can you, can you walk us through the, the story how you saw that problem, you start building something around that and how it became and, and now you just release a new version with TypeScript on top of it. Yeah, so it, just this morning. Just, yeah. yeah, just take us there for sure yeah so uh react async actually originates from an app that i built for xibia um i think two years ago um uh, at xibia they do uh regular knowledge sharing sessions mm -hmm. it's like a mini conference for for uh colleagues uh amongst each other so there's a lot of sessions and talks that you can attend um, and i built an app that it's like a conference app uh, everyone can uh, create a new session with a subject and description uh, and, and assign it to a room and then people can attend or unattend like RSVP to a particular session yeah. and I build a PWA to do that uh, we already had uh, a Django based uh, system for that but it was like fairly outdated not not didn't really work on mobile um, so PWA was a sensible thing um, but there was an existing rest API and uh, I obviously wanted to use that and I built this react PWA and wanted to talk to rest API well how do you do that well, the obvious thing is to is is to use the fetch API, right? Yeah. Just in the browser, uh, do a fetch. But if you are if you're doing a fetch um, with with a React app, um, there's some edge cases that you need to consider. For example, if you 
request something multiple times say you toggle the rsvp if you do that like you click that button three times where am i going to end up because if you fire up fire off three http requests then the order in which they return or even arrive at the server is yeah. basically random Indeed. right you don't know um, so what you need is handle is something to handle this race condition and cancellation obviously is the the obvious way to to do that although there's multiple strategies um so i built that thing originally for this pwa for xibia yeah and but i but i i discovered that this is a uh well something that that you can apply to any react application yeah indeed um so i was later working at a customer in Tagama. they are known for the diy stores the gamma and Karwai in the netherlands and um we were building a, Re a react app for them um and obviously I had the same problem again. We had a legacy REST API that we wanted to talk to uh, and we needed some solution for that. So I extracted React Async from this PWA, made it a separate library and started using that yeah. at the customer. And then, well, from there, it just like, it it, 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 it grows and it, 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 it becomes more mature. Um, and I learned a lot of stuff about how you have how you build uh, an open source library right because there's quite a few challenges involved with that it's not as simple as extracting your code uh, into a separate package and then just publishing it to npm well you can do that a lot of people do that yeah uh, but what you end up with is something that's well not really tested that doesn't cover a bunch of edge cases that yeah. does not consider all the integrations that it has um well if I do something, I want to do it right. So I, I, I decided that it had to be, uh, well, fairly top-notch in, 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 in but, but like quality-wise. Okay. So what, what is the um, talking talking about building an open-source uh, project? So you, uh, you never really it's just the the issue was there, and then you start building on top of it. But then at some point, you realize that okay. Uh, other people might need this you make it available to the world and what happened what, what what is the process of like now managing this thing yeah so you mean as a as a community as a manager community, or something yeah. like that yeah. yeah so the story there is that i've basically been building react async for a year uh on my own mostly uh and that takes you quite far but if you really want to make something into a successful open source project yeah. it basically has to be a community project okay that's that's the thing actually i learned that from storybook if you if you take the story of storybook uh norbert has obviously told me that um, um <laughs> it's 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 like norbert doesn't uh really build storybook on his own and then releases it to the world to enjoy yeah. he is more is he's busy more by by managing the community and encouraging other people to, to contribute yeah. and and review and make that as easy as possible than actually doing the code the program itself it's not really true because he still does a lot of programming because you can do this full time yeah. um, but for me like doing this in my spare time um, i decided over this actually this summer to to Maybe take a step back from building React Async itself and focusing more on developing the project rather than the product. Um, so I 
uh, moved it out of my personal GitHub account into a GitHub organization. Okay. Uh, it's called Async Library uh, by after Dot's testing library. Um, and uh, I essentially what I did is I contacted the authors of various uh, libraries that are very similar to the to the one that I built because uh, especially with hooks. Um, now, when when React to React team, hooks, yeah. when when React hooks were introduced, everyone started to build their own hook for data fetching. Yeah, like use fetch and use Axios and all that kind of things. And I actually I was kind of annoyed by that because I'm like, yeah, this is solve solve project problem, right? React async solves this problem already. Yeah, why is everyone the, building their the, own the new one? Yeah. I get why they do it because it's a great way to learn how oh. to build hooks, yeah. right? And how to work with that, and so I get it. Um, uh, but so I essentially just contacted all the authors and got them all together. Uh, obviously, some are not weren't really interested, but others were like, "Yeah, this is great. Let's let's come together and, and make this uh, uh, like the standard project for, for the standard tool for doing anything with promises." Yeah, basically in in React. In React. Um, uh, so that's been my aim, like my focus for the past, yeah. I would so, say, six months. So, so what, what, why, why moving it in a um, in an organization called Async Library while it was called React Async? Yeah. So you have to decide on some naming, obviously. Okay. And um, at the time, I was actually still because my 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 when I saw it, to me, I thought like you were going. You are opening literally the idea of React Async to any other. Yeah, uh, uh, that is the, that is the thought process. Okay. okay. Yeah. So the, the the idea there is that the problem of building web component, any kind of UI components yeah. with data fetching needs or any other asynchronous needs. Um, that's a problem that applies to all of the front-end frameworks that are out there. Yeah. Right? I so, mean, some have a built-in solution for that. I mean, uh, Angular has a whole lot of tooling to actually do that. So I don't suspect that there will be an Angular async uh, ba based on async library. Um, but for things like Vue and Svelte, there is uh, plenty of space to, to do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, part of... Uh, starting work on async library, choosing the name for one, is to to actually extract the the core business logic of React async into a separate package called well, it will eventually be called React uh, async, async library, library core core yeah slash core um, with the idea that on top of that we can build yeah, okay. React hooks, React components. Uh, but integ also integrations with things like Redux, MobX, uh, Vue, Svelte. Actually, I already designed the logos for Vue, like Async Vue and, and <laughs> sorry, I mean, Vue Async <laughs> and Svelte Async. I already yeah. have the logos for that on yeah. my machine. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's just a different color. <laughs> did you did you make the, the logo? Yeah, yeah. I designed yeah. the logo myself. Yeah. yeah. So just let me put it like that. So this is interesting. Just see it right here. You can see on the on the camera. Yeah, show it to the, to the people. Yeah, so it, I, I started with the React Async logo itself, and I designed it this way because it resembles a thread, 
where the process mm. it, it 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 takes uh, it, it, it 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 threads off from the main thread, right? Yeah. It forks the main thread, and then later on it comes back. So it's actually the light blue line that's be below it that actually yeah, shows that idea of an asynchronous process that forks from the main thread. Okay. And and later on. Interesting. Comes back. See now I, I, now I'm gonna see it differently every time that that's I that's the thought have a process behind okay. the shape of yeah. the logo. And obviously, I wanted something that looked pretty as well. So okay. I threw in some gradients and and fancy colors. I, I really love this. Interesting. And. So uh, and async library, the A is, is it's a derivation of that, but it's actually quite fitting because it's it's plain enough that you can apply it to a whole range of tools. Yeah. Um, so so uh, today you just released a, um, a new version of uh, React yeah, Async. I, just this morning I released <laughs> version ten yeah. of uh, React Async. Uh, version ten is not really spectacular in the sense that it brings a lot of new features. Let me tell you this, it is spectacular because you introduce TypeScript. TypeScript. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so that's the main thing that version 10 brings okay. is uh, it's basically built in TypeScript. Mm -hmm. In the past, I, uh, I, I mean, personally, I'm more of a JavaScript developer. And obviously, I build React Async just in JavaScript. Yeah. Obviously, all the latest and greatest versions uh, of uh, flavor of JavaScript. Um, but without types. And people started to ask about uh, TypeScript support. Like, how can I integrate React Async in my TypeScript project? It's a perfectly valid question because people are using TypeScript. Yeah. Uh, and I want to support that, obviously. So the first thing that you start to do is just write a typings file, right? If you, if you want to support uh, a TypeScript project, with your JavaScript library, yeah. you write uh, a types.d.ts file, yeah. which basically specifies the the API, the API yeah. in, in, in in TypeScript uh, terms. Um, but the 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 issue with that is, I mean, it works, but the problem is that you have to maintain that type definition file as you make changes to the code itself. Yeah. So the the kind of way that I solved that. Is by um, is by basically creating an, a, a PR template on GitHub, saying uh, with a checkbox that says like, "Oh, I updated the type definitions," so that you don't forget so, to update yeah. it. Regardless, yeah. I forgot it <laughs> on multiple occasions, and there were discrepancies between the actual implementation and the type definition. Yeah. Um, like, for example, there was this property uh, that it was defined as being a promise. But in practice, it could be null as well, right? It could be undefined or a promise, yeah. uh, which is something that 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 you forget about really quickly. And if you don't, if you, if you don't have TypeScript compiler to guard to, to check that, yeah, indeed, you're gonna make that kind of mistake. Indeed. Um, so the 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 thing is that in the end, you end up having to maintain a type definition without getting any benefits out of TypeScript itself. You get the downsides, so but not the, the benefits, benefits yeah. right? <laughs> so uh, it was actually kind of a no-brainer to eventually just, go and, build, just yeah. go and build it in TypeScript yeah. itself. Um, but that was great, a really great experience because I didn't migrate it myself. We're two guys from Germany um, uh, who I owe a lot to, like, uh, thank you guys. 
for for they're, for actually doing the they're, work. They're here. You yeah, they're they're over you. there. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so there's there these two guys from uh, I think the company is called Mayflower, and and they are uh, using React Async, and one and and they know about TypeScript, so they actually did all the work yeah. to migrate it to TypeScript, and then it was. It was it was a great experience because there were some issues with the build pipeline. For example, we yeah. use a tool called Pika to actually build the package that we yeah. ship that we publish to npm, uh, and that was not it, it didn't really work out of the box immediately with TypeScript. There were there was some issue somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so actually, the author of Pika also jumped in, jumped there. in, and okay. actually helped us to set set up the pipeline nice. the way it was supposed to. Uh, these, these these German guys they they made a pull request on Pika to fix a bug in Pika itself, and eventually everything came together and we shipped it. And uh, the 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 most awesome thing is the the only thing I did was do code review. Wow. On that, on that whole so, thing. So that takes me. That takes me to my next question. Uh, ups and down of open source. If you if you were to kind of put it in a few words, what is what, what are the uh, uh, ups and down of being in that open source? There, managing a project a community. What, what? How would you? What, what would you tell to people hmm. that wants to get into open source and? Uh, well, getting into open source is actually, I would say it can be easy uh, because there's so much work that you could do. It yeah. doesn't always have to involve code. Uh, I am very happy to take a pull request on documentation, for example, yeah. or, I don't know, translations or simple fixes. Um, but uh, if you really want to jump into it, into the code... Um, I I I'm I'm I really I want to encourage that, and I I love if people try it, and I will do my best to 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 help them get their pull request over the line. I I consider that my main job okay. as uh, like the the maintainer of this of the project, right? If people do the work to improve something, but there it, it isn't quite right, right? Uh, you have to help them to get it over the line. Indeed. Um, which can be tricky, but it, um, yeah. Um, but I like f recently I've been I've been having conversations with people who were interested. I've been actively asking people to to join and contribute to React Async. Yeah. Uh, so some people have responded saying, "Hey, let's schedule a call." uh to to do some onboarding so actually just this morning i had a call with someone from india uh, to because he was really interested into get to get a, like to get started with yeah. open source he's been like doing fun and and development. How, how, how do you get them uh, rolling in the into the project like uh, an issue or or like just a task you have a task management uh, project but to be honest i i am still trying to figure that out okay uh, most people they come into it by opening their own issue because okay. they have some problem that they, okay. they stumble upon and they fix it like they first open the issue and then i ask them hey can you at least give it a shot to fix it yourself um and and oftentimes they do and they open a pr and 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 they will fix the fix the issue for them um but sometimes people have no idea they, they want to contribute but they don't know um and in that case i uh, like just do scheduling a call, talking about the roadmap and the ideas. 
Um, and I always ask them, what's the thing that you would like to contribute to? Because I can't really go out and say like, yeah, you're going to have to do this chore and there's this chore. Yeah, yeah. People don't like doing chores. They yeah. want to scratch their own itch, right? Or they want to work on something that, that's on their bucket list to learn. So I always, always want to ask them, okay, what's the thing that you would like to work on? Uh, and how can we make one-on-one, put one-on-one okay. together and, and, and do, well, have you do something that always, that's also useful to the project? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have a few more minutes, but I, and I have tons of questions. <laughs> so, um, something that I, so you mentioned being, building that set of knowledge, then then you're into a comfort zone. And then at some point you go outside of that to, mm -hmm. how do you learn? How do you uh, adapt to the, that ever changing world of uh, the tech, tech world? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I that's a, uh, it's always daunting. I can imagine mostly for people who are, I mean, I've been in, in software development for over 10 years. So I've seen quite a few things yeah. come and go. And I, uh, you, eventually learn to well you see some patterns like uh so you, and that helps you to 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 gauge whether or not a new project is actually worth looking at yeah but if you're not if you don't have that experience everything might seem like the next best thing and something that you have to get into right away um well i would say don't uh, don't actively Well, I mean, you can actively get involved with that. That would be great. But in practice, you have to learn it on the job, essentially. Like I, I said it before, the best way to learn it is to apply it in a project. Okay. So um, actually... Then, then you're going to have the project that says, oh, we want you to come with that that experience or that the knowledge. Uh, probably at JBI, it was quite okay because then they can mm -hmm. introduce you here and there and yeah and then you you, you do have to kind of get lucky with that that's yeah, the downside that's also, yeah uh that oftentimes if you like if you spend two years in the same project after six months you kind of have most of the learnings mm -hmm. and it's it's it would actually be time for something new mm. i switched gigs like every six months yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um for at, at least early on in my career yeah um But um, okay, uh, I, I see that. Uh, let's apply that because um, because you you have the same issue with things like storybook because you you need. Uh, I I spoke with uh, Norbert who was, who was working on it and uh, we were talking about how do you adapt to all these frameworks mm -hmm. out there because yeah you need to support yeah uh, all these things That's so true. at some point how do you cope with the changes. In regardless of the framework, and uh, yeah, he gave us um, some some good tips there. So if you want to know more, check out the podcast with Norbert. Uh -huh. uh, that 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 should be uh, pretty nice. So um, you work remotely from uh, Amersfoort. Amersfoort, yeah, that's where in, I live in the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, you have a family. You have one kid, and and there is another one coming. Yeah, and that's right. Uh, so <laughs> I'm actually expecting uh, the second in two weeks' time. Okay. So it's okay. Um, um, I'm 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 really uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, I it's gonna be a girl this time. So so, so dad, da yeah. daddy. So let let me ask you this: How do you cope with? Family life as a Noah's open source 
a contributor, I'm open source engineer and working remotely from home. Yeah. So there's um, actually one-on-one works really well together uh, because working remotely gives you like pretty much endless flexibility in how you schedule your own time. Yeah. Um, which is great because, well, for one, I don't have a commute. Uh, I have all the time to like bring my son to the daycare uh, and pick him back up, things like that. Or, I don't know, have a doctor's appointment in the middle of the day if necessary, things like that. You can just schedule that any at any time. I will make my hours anyway because I often work in the evening. And that's also, I mean, that's fine because my son, he goes to bed at at 7 p.m. Uh-huh. Uh, or 8 p.m. somewhere in between, and then after 8 p.m. 8 p.m. I'll I will have time to do some work. Uh-huh. Um, so some evenings I I work, and other evenings I just crash on the couch um, with my girlfriend. But it's it's uh, that's actually the, the okay. where I basically find okay. my time. So, but then yeah. then you you might have a pretty good self discipline in a way because that requires to be well organized or, or, or you know see what I'm saying there. It's I wouldn't say yeah. I'm I'm really that organized, but you. D- it has been a learning process okay. over the past six months. I had to learn to do remote development mm-hmm. um, because if you work in a regular, like your your average company office, and you see your colleagues every day, you get a lot. You get away with a lot of the lazy communication, mm-hmm. so to say, or not communicating at all because it's it's um, it's balanced out by the conversations that you have at the coffee machine, for yeah, example, yeah. right? And looking over your shoulder saying, hey, uh, are you still working on this or that? Or, hey, I just finished this. Can you take a look at my pull request? Um, you can, you can, you have these very short lines where you can just quickly communicate. And yeah. if you work remotely, especially with various time zones, you have to be more uh, consistent for one and um well, actually write it all down somewhere. Uh, that doesn't mean that I take notes or anything like that, but at least um, be aware that your colleague who wakes up uh, in, in your evening, um, he's going to want some information from you. Yeah. So I've learned to, for example, get start my day by taking a look at stuff that has been assigned to me overnight. Right. Well, I was sleeping. They've been working, yeah. and uh, in the morning there's a bunch of tasks like pull requests or issues waiting for me to take a look at. They like or they met, they, they they mentioned me on Slack or something like that. There is a discussion I need to take part okay. in. Uh, but so looking at pull requests that have been assigned to me uh, is actually one of the first things that I do in the okay. morning, um, so that I can handle all of those things before they wake up okay. so when they wake up i have reviewed all their stuff and they can continue with well, their regular their work yeah right and i ex- i kind of expect the same thing the other way so by the end of my day uh i wrap something up i push it and then i assign for example the pull request to a colleague uh for them to review uh and then yeah most of the time that thing will be reviewed the next morning very uh, good yeah, yeah, and uh, would you be would you come 
back again and work as a full-time employee somewhere uh, at a company. Well, like a not full-time employee, but on a project with a so uh, uh, on a, like in an office, uh, right? Office, yeah. um, I, I'm still open to that. Uh, I, I'm not really. I mean, I'm not that sold on remote, like it uh, being yeah, a holy okay. grail or anything. I enjoy uh, going to the office and seeing my colleagues. I always, I actually kind of liked that, mm -hmm. um, especially if you're in a team with uh, with people you enjoy working with. Yeah. And then, I mean, working remotely can be a bit lonely. Uh, for me, it isn't really, but uh, it can be. Um, there's there's benefits and downsides to both okay. types of working. Um, I personally have, for example, never really had an issue with open offices, but other people have. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it's not that much of a threshold to go back to to, to your plain old office work. Okay. Then again, you get spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. In, in in working remotely. Remotely, yeah. yeah. I understand that. So uh, we have a. Um, we we discuss of like a lot of points here. I'm really grateful that. Um, to hear the story of uh, obviously uh, React Async and your transition from um, from uh, Jabia to Chroma and and obviously the the storybook because I had that thing in mind like now Norbert was able to get like so his colleague his friend on on the Chroma on the storybook full Even time more. Uh, yeah uh, so. it, it's it's something that we are actually evaluating still at yeah. Chroma yeah. Uh, because right now we have like two people working full-time on, on Storybook and others working on Chromatic. Uh, on Chromatic. Yeah. Um, well, that kind of create, I mean, even though we are uh, a good team, it does create uh, a divide, mm -hmm. right, between these two people and the rest of the group. Mm -hmm. And we, we don't want that. So it's actually, uh, actually we've been more actively evolving Norbert in chromatic work. Yeah. He's been, for example, he built the GitHub action for chromatic yeah. with storybook integration. Uh, and I have been doing also some work on storybook. Um, and that's likely to be more like uh, evenly spread, even though they will always obviously be the ones focused mostly on storybook. Yeah. We do uh, integrate okay. those two worlds more and more. Understood. Yeah. So um, before we end, I'm gonna ask you one or two more questions. So uh, we have this thing at uh, at Hackflix where we ask uh, Hackflix podcast where we ask people, you know, uh, they do great stuff out there. They uh, they're trying to make things around them better. But do you have, we asked them if they have someone that inspired them out there, that inspired them to do good. If that person exists, uh, would you be able to host the podcast sitting here and having that person cross table? So that's two questions. Uh, sure. Well, I mean, I can think of a few people who inspire me in mostly open source development. Yeah. Um, I guess the obvious one is Ken C. Dodds because he is the author of Testing Library, yeah. which obviously I totally stole the name from for <laughs> Async Library. Um, well, actually, I met him in person at React Amsterdam last year, where I was also giving a talk and he was also uh, giving a talk. And actually, 
he's since then he's been one of the big proponents for react async okay uh, i explained the concept to him uh there uh, at at the conference and he's been using react async in his workshops yeah. okay. uh nice. since then very good which is like totally awesome and obviously he's awesome anyway so i would totally love to uh, talk to him again face okay. to face some okay. some day so sure. but i need to talk to him i need to tell him like Zara is coming for him. So <laughs> Zara's going to reach out to you uh, whenever you're in Amsterdam, uh, Ken. React Summit. Uh, I, I, React I, I Summit think. is going to be here. Uh, yeah, it's probably I think so. in, in May, right? May, uh, April. I think it's April. So, yeah. April. Uh, so Actually, the whole Chroma team is coming over to React okay. Summit. To okay, yeah. very good. So wh wh what we could do, we have this section called TMA, Teach Me Anything. Uh, under 10 minutes on on Actflix, and uh, we can do one with the Chroma team. I'll show you, i explain you more about it. Uh, the, the idea is like in less than, in under 10 minutes, you go ahead and explain a topic like to people. Um, so uh, it would be, would be nice. But talking to Kenzie right now, Git wants to have you here on the podcast. We also want to have you here on the podcast. So uh, <laughs> join us here. Yeah, I met him in, in San Francisco a few years ago. He's a really cool, a cool guy. So yeah, we have it. Where could people find you online? Where are you online? Um, I would say the easiest way is to go to react-async.com, okay. uh, which is the website to... Well, essentially, it lands you on the GitHub page yeah. for React Async. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, on Twitter, I'm G Hengerfeld, but nice. I would suppose for a lot of people that's too hard. Yeah. Um, so reactasync.com is the the obvious way to obvious place to look to, to look. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pretty good. So um, thanks for coming again. Uh, any any you have you actually have the last words? Like what would you tell people? Test your application often, or use React Async, or Storybook is awesome, or um, well, <laughs> I am, I've learned that component-driven development is the way to go nowadays when building web applications. And I've really enjoyed building software to make that awesome. Uh, Chromatic is one of those. Storybook is another one of those. But really take a look at component-driven development with Storybook. Take that, that will definitely take your front-end development experience to the next level. Next level. Cool. Thank you, people. We have it. So thanks yet again for coming. And uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, we get to see you here hosting a podcast with Kenzie Dot. <laughs> I hope so, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, man. That would be awesome. Yeah. Thank you.